March 14, 2021. Week 11. 100 Day Challenge. The Backstory. Early Prophets. So good morning. You know, I, I have to start here. I didn't intend this last night as I was finishing up looking at this morning, but after singing that song, I have to ask you this question. Is Jesus your living hope? As you, heard, as you sang that song, is it just words that are falling off of your lips? Or is it something that's embedded deep within your heart that you know beyond the shadow of a doubt that your life would be so much different if it weren't for Jesus? If you didn't have him at the core of who you are, nothing else would make sense. Do you believe that? That he is your living hope? It, it, there's no other answer. Why else would we come here on a Sunday if we didn't believe that to be true? Or you're trying to figure that out. And those of us who have followed Christ for a while, I'll tell you what, there's nothing else. As a pastor, as a preacher, what else is there to share than Jesus and Jesus crucified? At the end of the day, that's what matters. He's the author and perfecter of our faith. He's the one we commit our lives to and follow with all of who we are. And, and as a church, as we gather and worship, as you spend time in the word by yourself or worshiping throughout the week, as you do your life, I ask that you take that very seriously. That Jesus truly is your living hope. And that everything else in the world that swirls around us, screaming for our attention, screaming for us to maybe even turn our gaze from the reality of who Jesus is, that we would put that off to the side and say, no, not me, not my family. Jesus is my living hope. People have asked me over the years, and especially as I took the role, what's the hardest part of being a pastor? Or, or what do you see as the most challenging part? And the answer is really easy. Back from my days in the hub or days in outreach or wherever I've been in this church, we, we've shared the gospel message with hundreds and thousands of people. That's not the hard part. You know the hardest part of this job? Is watching people who you've shared the gospel with maybe time and time again say, you know what? No, thank you. I've got a better answer. I know how to do this on my own. I know how to live this life in a better way than Jesus would have me and I'm not going to listen to that just rips your heart out. That's the hardest part of this. It is sharing the truth and the reality of the gospel to people who are apparently hungry for it and then they turn their backs and say, no, thank you. It's not for me. It, essentially what they're saying is I'd rather live in my sin and I know better than God and I have a plan for my life that far exceeds what God would have for me, so I'm gonna do it my way. That's a recipe for disaster. And thus, the hardest part of my job. So as a church, when we say Jesus is our living hope, when you sing it with your heart, mean it and live it out every day. Today, our 100-day our challenge journey takes us through to the prophets. And the prophets are really this amazing group of people who stood up, just like I'm saying, stood up in front of the nation and said, you're doing it wrong. God would have us do it this way, but you're turning this way. We're, we're in trouble. And what happened to most of the prophets? They were stoned. They were killed. Because people didn't want to hear the message they had to share. 
I hope you don't stone me for talking about Jesus. Maybe that's a bad <laughs> illustration. But it seems to be the case that with the early prophets, as they shared their hearts and what God had laid on their hearts, they met opposition time and time again. And as we study the early prophets this week and the later prophets next week, you will see that cycle. You will see how the Lord laid words on their heart and they shared it openly to hearts that were hard as stone. This week, we read the early prophets. You know, the, the, it's important to remember that at this point, as, these, as the prophets were writing, the kingdom was divided. You had Israel and the 10 tribes who followed Israel were to the north, and the two tribes that made up Judah were to the south. And they really had, they had Jerusalem, so they had the temple, so they thought they were far superior to the northern tribes. And, and it created conflict. And those in the north in Israel and Judah were in this constant state of civil war. It was sort of simmering under the surface all the time. When every once in a while they'd sort of square off and there'd be fights and they'd kill one another. And it was the worst family feud you can imagine. Because the reality is they're all children of Abraham. They're all descendants of Isaac and Jacob. Yet they choose to kill each other and not live in unity with one another. And the prophets stood in that space with the two tribes, with the two kingdoms, excuse me, warring with each other and competing with one another. And the prophets stood up and said, what are you doing? What are you doing? You're supposed to be living this way, following the ways of the Lord, but yet you choose to fight and kill one another. And as we'll see as we dive into Isaiah this morning, the prophets stood up and, and spoke for God to the people. We're going to spend the majority of our time this morning in Isaiah chapter 1. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to Isaiah 1. Because what we find in Isaiah chapter 1 is really, is really thought by scholars to be an overview or a primer of the rest of the, private, uh, the, rest of the prophets. As, as Isaiah wrote, he was talking about major themes that will show up time and time again as we read this week and next week. So we thought it important to look at Isaiah chapter 1 to give an overview of the prophets and specifically the, the early prophets this morning. And hopefully, this is my hope. Gosh, this is my hope today. That as you hear Isaiah's message, you don't get so much caught up into the early prophets, but you see Jesus alive and well in everything Isaiah said. And you see all of Isaiah's words really pointing to the risen Savior. You see all of Isaiah's words pointing to the one who set everything right. Because as we've been doing the backstory, the 100-day challenge, the backstory uh, through the Old Testament, we said it sets up Jesus. In Isaiah, we see that loud and clear this morning. So if you have your Bible, like I said, turn to Isaiah chapter 1. The first theme we're going to see in Isaiah chapter 1 is this. If you take notes, and I know some of you take copious notes. I met with one of you this week. If you're taking copious notes, you can write this down. The first theme, God desires a close, loving relationship with his people. And we see this in Isaiah 1 chapter 2. Hear, O heavens. Listen, O earth. For the Lord has spoken. I reared children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. Let's pause there for a minute. Can you hear God even starting to cry out? I have raised these children up. I have brought them out of nothing, out of slavery. I have poured myself into them time and time and time again. And yet, they have rebelled against me. The ox knows his master and the donkey knows his, his owner's manger. 
but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Whenever we see in scripture, when the writer uses a family relationship, either a relationship, either a husband and wife or a parent and a child relationship, we see that it really means something. It's deep and means something to the heart of God. And in this, we see um, God saying through Isaiah, the ox, even the livestock know their masters. Even the livestock are loyal to the ones who feed them and care for them and provide for all their needs. But my people... It is not so with them. It is not so. That had to break the heart of God. And you and I know exactly what that's like. Because I dare to say that maybe yesterday or the day before, or at least in the last year, we've all broken the heart of God one way or the other. We'll also read in this week in Hosea. And Hosea is a fascinating book because what happens in Hosea, well, we'll see it in here, verse one, uh, chapter one, verse two. This is the Lord talking to Hosea. Go take to yourself an adulterous wife. Great idea, God. That's a recipe for long health and wealth and family and fun. That's a great idea. Why? because the land is guilty of the vilest adultery and departing from the Lord. God has Hosea take an adulterous life to illustrate what it's like to lead the people that God calls his own. Through the book of Hosea, we see what it's like for Hosea to struggle with and try to help and understand what's going on with his adulterous life, just like God tries to help and coach and figure out what's going on with our adulterous hearts as we turn from him. It's an incredible parallel to the reality of life that we face every day. We see God's pain displayed in Hosea. We see that um, God tries to draw her back just like a husband would lovingly try to draw his wife back. We see that God desires a loving relationship with you and me. But we as humans, we don't always follow through the way we should. The second theme we see in Isaiah is God's children have walked out on him. Verse four. Woe, woe to the sinful nation. A people loaded with guilt is great. A brood of evildoers, children given to corruption. They have forsaken the Lord and they have spurned the Holy One of Israel and turned their backs on him. Can you hear God's grief? My loved, my beloved have turned their backs on me. They're doing whatever's right in their own eyes. You can hear this is so painful and personal. Because like I said before, God desires a loving relationship with you and me, but we as humans constantly turn our backs on him and do what is right in our own eyes, our own minds, our own thoughts, our, what our friends tell us who know nothing of the Lord. We trust them more than we trust God. And then this is what happens. Again and again, the people of Israel and Judah turn their backs on God. Again and again, we turn our backs on God. God had every right 
to cut them off, to say no more, I'm done. This is finished, but he has patience and he pursued them and he pursues you and me. Let's take a look at the third theme. This one, every parent in the room will understand or everyone who's ever been a child. God disciplines those he loves. Verses five and six. Why, why should you be beaten anymore? Why do you persist in rebellion? Your whole head is injured. Your whole heart afflicted. From the sole of your feet to the top of your head, there is no soundness, only wounds and welts and open sores. Not cleansed or bandaged or soothed with oil. The more Israel went after their sin, the more they, they sought their own ways and their own desires, the more the consequences of their sin caught up with them and they just got beat up and bloodied. You see, when we pursue our sin and think we know better than God, we face the consequences of that sin. And what we might do in quiet by ourselves where nobody's looking, we think, we think has no impact on who we are or what we do really turns into a wide open festering wound that is ugly and gross. That's what we see here. That's what Isaiah is writing about. He, he's saying that, that this, the, the consequences of our sin are a form of discipline. And he's, the, the purpose of that is to turn us from our sinful ways to focus on God. To focus on, like I said, the author and perfecter of our faith, the one who loves you and cares for you and wants to know you from the inside out. Yet the people of Israel were running the other way. The writer of Hebrews put it like this in verse, um, chapter 12, verses five and six. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Why does God allow discipline? Why does discipline happen in our lives? because he loves you. He washes the sin away as we'll see in a moment, but the consequences still remain and the consequences sometimes are what draw us back to God as we see and understand the ugliness of our sin. As we see and understand the pain that we've caused and the pain we've caused others because God disciplines those he loves. As a parent, some of the hardest times in, in, in rearing my children and raising my children has been to have to discipline them. To help them to turn from one way to another. When I was growing up, I remember some of the discipline I received and it, it didn't feel good all the time. Can you relate to that? Maybe my parents are watching online right now. It didn't feel good all the time. But they did it because they loved me and they cared for me. And God allows discipline in our lives because he loves us and he cares for us and he wants to correct us and draw us back to himself. To himself. But how does God discipline the whole nation? Well, our fourth theme, God uses a foreign army to punish them. 
Verse seven, your country is desolate, your cities burned with fire, your fields are being stripped by foreigners right before you, laid to waste as overthrown by strangers. This was happening right in their faces as, as all of the, all, their sin was dragging their away, them away from God. God allowed a foreign army to come in and, and decimate. And in the Northern Kingdom, it was the Assyrians. They came in and laid everything to waste and took all of them into exile away from their homeland. They, they, nothing was left. The prophet Joel puts it this way. Listen to this vivid word picture of what it looked like. A nation has invaded my land, powerful and without number, without number. It has the teeth of a lion and the fangs of a lioness. It has laid waste to my vines and ruined my fig trees. It has stripped off their bark and thrown it away, leaving their branches white, leaving their branches exposed where they will die and wither. God used a foreign army to discipline his people because they weren't getting it. They wasn't making sense. They weren't following the ways of the Lord. And you'll see that theme as you read through the prophets over and over and over again. You'll see how they, they see the foreign armies and what happens when they see it? Well, let's see what happens now. They think they can make it right. They, they think they have the ability to, to, to step up and to do something to, to get God's favor. And the next theme is religion is no substitute for obedience. Verse five, I mean... Verse 10 through 13. Hear the words of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me? I have more than enough burnt offerings of rams and the fat of, uh, the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in their blood or the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who was asked this of you? This is this trampling of my courts. Stop bringing me meaningless offerings, the Lord said. Stop bringing me meaningless offerings. Ouch. Right there, the Lord says, stop sinning and then coming to me and think you can make everything right because you sing louder or put more in the offering. That's not what I'm looking for. I'm not looking for you to live like, like the world all week long and then come to church on Sunday and think that everything will be fine because you know what he does? He sees the sin in our hearts and he sees the core of who we are. And if our praise and our worship is empty, it is not honoring to God. If we're so full of sin and trying to cover up all the things we do day in and day out, week in and week out, when we come in front of the Lord to worship, he says, I, I want your heart and I don't see what's really going on there. And, and you can see it here. Stop bringing me meaningless offerings. Stop bringing me worship that isn't fully devoted to me. Isaiah's rebuking the people in an incredible way. He's laying it all in front of them. The reason you're being attacked is because your hearts have wandered from God and then you try to make it right through worship, but your heart hasn't changed. And your worship is meaningless. So the next theme, what is true religion? What does true religion look like? And we'll look at verses 16 through 17. Wash and make yourselves clean. 
take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Defend the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Stop living for yourselves and think about others. Stop taking advantage of this group of people. Instead of taking advantage of them, be advocates for them. Stop living lives that are so set focused on yourself that you lose sight of the rest of what's going on around you. That's what he desires of us. In Micah 6, 8, it puts it this way. He showed us, he has showed you, O mortal, what is good. Listen to these words. And what does the Lord require of you? What does the Lord require of each of us? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. To love, to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. Isaiah lays it out. Micah expounds on it. If we really want to please and follow God, we need to open up our hearts and to live different lives that aren't full of sin that aren't full of the deceit that we often carry. You see, the prophets pointed out the wrongdoings of the people. They pointed out where they were going that wasn't correct. They were like doctors with a difficult diagnosis. But this is the beautiful thing. They didn't just leave people there. They just didn't offer the difficult diagnosis. They they also offered the cure. The last theme, God offers forgiveness. Verse 18. This is so beautiful. Come, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. God made a way. Even though our sins were raging, we were red as crimson. He makes us white as snow. He fixes our hearts. He fixes our minds. He fixes our attitudes. We can have a close relationship with God again. We can turn from evil and sin. We we can respond to discipline and the the consequences of our sin and look at God and say, I'm never going to do that again. I'm going to follow you with all of my heart. We can start to understand what forgiveness is. Which brings me back to the beginning. All of this that Isaiah is pointing to, all of it is speaking of the one who is yet to come. The one who we sang about in the last song. The one who gives us the living hope. And it's only, it's only through a relationship with Jesus that we can have victory in these areas. There's no other way. Listen to the words of the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 53. This was written thousands of years before Jesus. Maybe about a thousand. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our inequities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we are healed. 
We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way and the Lord has laid the inequity of us all on him, us all. Yet he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was like a lamb to the slaughter and, like, and a sheep before her shearers is silent. So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people, he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and the rich in his death. Though he had not done any violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. For he bore the sin of many and made the intercession for the transgressors. Isaiah is writing about Jesus. And how do you or I get made as white as snow? How do we look like wool and have our sins washed away from us? It's by accepting Jesus as Savior. What were the prophets speaking to and all that we hear? They were calling the nation back to repentance, to, to, the, to God. What does that look like for you and me? It looks like claiming Jesus as our own, as our Lord and Savior. Israel at this point didn't have the, the luxury of calling on the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of its sins, of her sins but we do. We have an opportunity to look at our lives, to look at the, the trespasses we have made, to look at the things we have done that are contrary to the gospel message. And we have the opportunity to say, God, I want to turn from that life of sin and I want to look at you full on and receive the blessings that come from being called a son or daughter of yours to follow you with my whole heart. This morning, we have the privilege of receiving communion together, of coming to the Lord's table, remembering Jesus' sacrifice for us, remembering that he laid down his life so that we may have life eternal. But before we get into this, I hear my heart. I know there are some of you who at one point in your lives have, have hung on to and claimed Jesus as Lord and Savior, but then have turned the other way and done your own thing and headed in a direction that is contrary to what the gospel message, to what Jesus would have you do or go. Before we receive communion this morning, I'm gonna give those of you who that's your story an opportunity to come back and say, Lord, I recommit myself fully to you. And then I also know there's people in the room who are watching online who have never called on the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins, who have never made him Lord and Savior of their lives, who have never latched onto him and said, you know, my ways and my plan and the things I do are, are failing me. So Jesus, I'm calling on your name you are. So before we receive communion, I, I'm going to spend a few moments in prayer and pray for both of those groups of people. 
And if you're in either group and you feel like this is the day where you wanna turn from your ways and either back to God or to God for the first time, this could be the best morning of your life. So as I pray, I'll give times for both of those groups of people to pray along with me and to release um, the sin of your lives, maybe to the Lord today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come to your table together, to come to, to share in this tradition that you set before us when you were still here, Jesus, this, this opportunity to remember your sacrifice for us on the cross. And Lord, there's some in here today or watching online who have called on you as Lord and Savior at some point in their lives, but maybe recently the last year or so or whatever that timetable time period is, have turned to their own wants, their own desires. Lord, as those people pray with me in these next few moments, I pray that you would hear their prayer. So pray with me if that is you. Father, I have called on you as Lord and Savior at some point in my life, but I have turned away. I've got caught up in things of the world or my own plans or or my own desires and stopped looking to you to lead my life. Father, I'm sorry. I recommit myself to following you and loving you and serving you with all of who I am. Father, hear my prayer as my heart is turning back to you. And for those who are making a a commitment, maybe for the first time, pray with me. God, I've been made aware of my sin this morning, of my trajectory of life, where I'm going without you. And God, I commit myself to following you with all of who I am. Forgive me of my sin, cleanse me from all my inequities and transgressions. Allow me to walk in your presence as as you see me, clean and holy and righteous. And I commit to following you with my life. God, I give you all that happens in my heart and ask that you would work in me from the inside out. We thank you, Lord. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. If you're in either of those groups, I know this is a weird way to do this, but on our website, on the homepage, there's a little cross in the upper right-hand corner. If you click on that, um, you can fill, you know, just let us know the decision you made and we'll contact you this week and have further conversation about that. So Paul wrote these words in Corinthians that I just love as he speaks about what we're about to do. This is uh, 1 Corinthians 11, verses 23 and beyond. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So hopefully as you walked in, you grabbed communion supplies. If you're watching at home, this would be a great opportunity if you haven't to grab them. 
but take the little bread. This is the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, given for you. Preserve your soul and body into everlasting life. Take this and remember Christ's sacrifice for you and be grateful. back the top of your juice. This represents the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ shed for you. Imagine what it was like for him to shed his blood. Drink this in remembrance of Christ's sacrifice for you and be forever grateful. Father, we thank you for this morning, for reading from Isaiah that points so clearly to you, Jesus. This opportunity to celebrate the Lord's Supper together in remembrance of the sacrifice you made for us, Lord. And I pray for those people who took communion today for the very first time after committing their lives to you. Lord, I pray that you would just become so real to them that they'd even be overwhelmed by your presence in their life. For those who have recommitted their, their, their lives to you, that you would speak to their hearts. Lord, as, as we finish up this service, as we sing it in one more song, I pray that it would be a blessing to you as your church, as we sing and raise our voices together that it would be as if we're sitting right in front of you, worshiping at your feet. We thank you for this morning. And we do pray in Jesus' name, amen. One bit of housekeeping. When you leave, if you could take your little cups and throw them out, there's garbage cans out in the lobby. We would really appreciate that. So if you would like to sit to sing or if you would like to stand, whatever posture you prefer, Uh, please do so. I know sometimes I like to sit and not necessarily stand, but let's sing this last song together.